So I got a question I want you to think about while I play the opening music. Should you follow your dreams and risk failing or protect yourself by not trying? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, that question I raised is not just a theoretical one. It's one that people seem to be asking themselves over and over and over again. Is it risky to follow your dreams? Do you have a responsibility to just do what's expected of you? Provide for your family? Repay your student loan debt, whatever it happens to be, and put your dreams on hold. Well, we're going to look at that today. Along with that, are you following your dreams or living out other people's expectations? Now, here's a quotation. This comes from C.S. Lewis, great theologian, author. Failures, repeated failures, are finger posts on the road to achievement. One fails forward toward success. What do you think? Are you comfortable with failure knowing that it's like steps on a ladder that'll get you to ultimate achievement? I mean, any great coach will tell you that, that there's got to be failure along the way. You know, I heard, um, boy, this is years and years ago. I heard Robert Shore, pastor of then Crystal Cathedral, I think it's, no longer there, but Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California. Tell about a high jumper approaching the bar. Now, here's the deal. As long as he continued to clear the bar, you really had no way of knowing how good that athlete was. It's only when he trips the bar that you have a measurement of how good he really is. Now, that is a lot of application. But as we kind of roll into this, do you save yourself the embarrassment of failing or do you just go ahead and do it knowing that you might in fact fail, but that is part of the process of getting to ultimate achievement. Well, our resource today is you can get five books that I recommend to help you improve your mindset and act in your dreams. Just my recommendations for the books. If you go to 48days.com slash books. So here's the thing. I want to read you this famous little snippet from Steve Jobs, just to kind of set the stage for what we're going to look at here today. Should I follow my dreams and risk failing or protect myself by not trying? Here's what Steve Jobs said. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them, but the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward, and while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. Yeah, I love that. Inspiring. You know, there's a scene in a TV show. I think it was, um, yeah, geez, I I don't watch this, but I think it was in um, Two and a Half Men where one of the characters wants to be a comedian. 
So he's talked about it for 10 years. And then his roommate tells him, hey, there's an open mic tonight down at the comedy club. Let's go. Now's your big chance to make your dream come true. But the guy refuses, explaining that if he tries and fails, then he loses his dream. Wow. I mean, how many people do you know who are protecting their dream because they never really try to approach it at all? Gee, I want a dream of being a writer, an actor, a musician, a speaker, a podcaster, a politician, whatever it is, but they never try. That way you can keep your dream. You can keep your dream alive with knowing that the risk is if you try and fail, well, but it doesn't work like that. The dream doesn't go away. You can fail 10 times over. I mean, look at the old stories of, you know, Abraham Lincoln, people like that, a lot of others who failed again and again and again on their way to success. When we know most millionaires fail three or four times in ventures before they get to the idea that really works. You can look at people like Richard Branson as everything he's ever done worked. Elon Musk as everything he ever done worked. No, not at all but it's in risking those things where they fail that it gives them more information, more insight, more accurate methods of continuing to approach their dreams. Well, just recently I got a note from a gentleman, we'll call him Paul, 37 years old. He contacted me as a coaching client. Six years ago, he took over the family business when his dad died suddenly. Now he's really respected in the community. He makes a comfortable $400,000 a year but he resents managing the employees. He dreams of moving to another state and and perhaps a bigger city with more opportunities. Feels like he's trapped in someone else's life. All right, now keep that thought. We're going to come back to Paul in a minute here. Bronnie Ware is an Australian nurse who spent several years working in palliative care, you know, where you're helping people who know they're in their last 12 weeks of life. She recorded their dying thoughts in a blog called inspiration and chai. It got so much attention. She put her observations into a book called the top five regrets of the dying. Well, that's where I got the information. So she writes about the phenomenal clarity of vision that people gain at the end of their lives and how we can learn from their wisdom. When questioned about any regrets they had or anything they would do differently, she said common themes surfaced again and again. So these are the top five regrets of people who know they're dying. This is number one. Nothing else is a close second. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And she says, you know, this is the most common regret of all. When people realize their life is almost over and they look back clearly on it, it's easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not even approached or honored in any way even half their dreams. And to die knowing that it was due to the choices they made or not made. Well, number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. She says, this came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth, their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret but as many were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been the breadwinners. So they didn't have, they didn't talk about working outside the home so much. All of the men deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Boy, that's easy to put in place real quick. 
goodness, I know I've been guilty of that. I love what I do. And so I work and work and work. I'm learning at this season of my life to back off, to take more free days. I'm part of a a coaching program where I have to identify free days, focus days, and and bonus days, I mean, buffer days, free days, focus days, and buffer days. And it's forced me to increase the number of free days. They can show statistically that entrepreneurs who increase their free days increase their health and their income. So I'm working on that. My goal for this year is 126 free days where I'm totally unplugged, not doing anything work related. Well, let's move on. Number three in this short list of top regrets, top five regrets of people who know they're dying. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Many people suppress their feelings in order to keep peace with others. As a result, they settled for a mediocre existence and never became who they were truly capable of becoming. Many developed illnesses related to the bitterness and resentment that they carried as a result of keeping their feelings bottled up. Number four was, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Often these people wouldn't realize the full benefits of old friends until their dying weeks. And then sometimes it wasn't possible to track them down. Or you see their obituary in a paper. Many had become so caught up in their own lives that they had let golden friendships slip by over the years. There were many deep regrets about not giving friendships the time and effort that they deserved. Well, number five, I wish I'd let myself be happier. Now, that, that might surprise you as a common one. And a lot of people didn't realize until the end that, that happiness is a choice. They had stayed stuck in old patterns and habits. The so-called comfort of familiarity overflowed into their emotions as well as their physical lives. Fear of change had them pretending to others and to themselves that they were content when deep within they longed to laugh properly and have silliness in their life again. So what do you think? What, what's yours? Now, those are the top five. Again, the top one being, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Golly, I've talked to so many who are trapped in that. So what do you think? What's what's your greatest regret so far? Now, some of you are 17 years old. Some are 37. Some are 57. Some are 77. What's your greatest regret so far? And what are you going to do so that you don't die with that regret? Now, again, I set this up by saying Paul contacted me, 37 years old, Took over his dad's business when his dad died unexpectedly. He's very, very successful in terms of financially, respect in the community, and knows he's living somebody else's life. He's trying to replicate what his dad did. He's not sure he could have been that successful on his own. A lot of questions. He'd love to move to another state, but he's not sure that he could start something and be successful. So he continues. He says, then I always go back to the question, if I would be bold enough, liked enough, connected enough to be an entrepreneur in another area. It seems silly to have a learning curve that could be maybe one to three years, which would seemingly put me behind. So he's 37 and he doesn't want to risk one to three years where he may not be moving forward aggressively. Wow. How would you like to have things totally figured out? I mean, think about the comparison. If it took him three years, he's then 40. I mean, there are people who go to medical school or law school who don't start their original, the very first day of their career until they're 40. 
He says, I haven't established business because of what my dad built, and I've always doubted if I would be able to build something similar on my own. I also wonder if I'm too old to start a new area, culture, et cetera. I don't want to go backward. All right, now just let that sink in a little bit. The philosopher Seneca, now I like to read the Stoics and the, the philosophy of people like Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, and those. So this guy was born uh, about 4 BC, so almost a contemporary of Jesus. But he struggled with similar questions. Seneca was one of the wealthiest people in Rome, famous statesman and an advisor to the emperor. So he wondered, would poverty or hunger destroy him as the person others knew him to be. So he experimented with those concepts. I love this. I mean, he would really do this. He would dress up in old tattered clothes and a hat that covered his face and walk through the marketplace to experience the taunts and criticism of the town people who perceived him as somebody who was very poor. He thought that if he learned to deal with that, he would be better prepared if the situation actually ever became a reality. Now, in his writings, in Festivals and Fasting, he recommended set aside a certain number of days during which you can, you shall be content with the scantiest and cheapest fare, with coarse and rough dress, saying to yourself the well, is this the condition that I feared? It's precisely in times of immunity from care that the soul should toughen itself beforehand for occasions of greater stress, and it is well fortune is kind that it should fortify itself against her violence. Now, if you think about that a little bit, there's a lot of a lot of philosophy in there. But if you fear poverty, experiment with it. Do something to put yourself in a position where you really experience what it's like to be in poverty. If you fear hunger, what if you didn't have enough to eat? You know what? You can go a pretty long time without anything to eat. I've been experimenting with fasting. I won't share the details. It'd seem radical to you, but experiment with it. Now, some people are doing intermittent fasting, which simply means going to bed at night and then you get up in the morning, you don't eat till lunch. I don't think that's very radical, but I think it'd be healthy to, you know, experiment once a year with a three day fast. People like Tim Ferriss does a three day fast once a month just to experience the discipline and the mindset required to do that. You aren't going to starve. You're going to shrivel up and dry. It's, it's a mindset. You can get through that. Well, I love those kind of <laughs> experiments with those things. If you think that a change in your circumstances would really do you in, then experiment with the very condition. You know, like Seneca says, is this the condition that I feared? Well, hey, just a reminder here, we'll take a quick drop in here just to remind you that typically I, I deal with questions. Again, sometimes I get these these questions that are so profound that I want to just develop it a little bit more than a, a 30 second response. So today's one of those days where we're doing that, but typically we're answering questions. So if you got questions you'd like to have us unpack here, just shoot those in to Dan. Ask Dan, rather, ask Dan at 48days.com. That's the unique mailbox. I love to open that. When I open that once a week and look at all the questions in there, but it's askdan at 48days.com. Now, when I was 18 years old, Joanne and I purchased a trailer as our home for the next four years. Now, you can you can visualize yeah, a trailer. It wasn't fancy. I, I paid $1,245 for it. 
And we made that our home while we attended Ohio State University. Uh, we had it in a trailer park right off campus. It was actually the area where they had the Ohio State Fair. So 50 weeks out of the year, it was really quiet there with just our neighbors. And then two weeks out of the year, it was fair traffic all around us. But yeah, paid $1,245 for a trailer. We lived in it for four years. We elected to make that sacrifice for the anticipated increased freedom of the academic experience. So I had been working at a job. We had a house. I had a JAG XKE. So we were doing fine. But we gave that all up and used that equity to go back to school. So it's putting off, postponing, going backwards seemingly to prepare to then move forward more rapidly. I mean, a lot of you can lay that out in your own lives, how you've done that. Times when you've elected to do that. I think we can do that repeatedly in our lives if we really know that we're equipping ourselves then to make leapfrog steps forward. So we elected to make that sacrifice. Then with my new position, we did step up significantly with our first house. Now, you know, I said that backward. I, I We we had the, the trailer and went to school before we had the house. But then after I got out, 22 years old, we did get the house in the XKE. Then we sold that. I went back and got my master's degree at that point. So we used the funds there. We moved into an old house. We rented for $85 a month. Incidentally, that, that trailer that I bought for $1,245, join as a master at fixing up a place and making it look like a million bucks, no matter what. So $1,245, we had it. She fixed it up, made it look really nice. We didn't do any kind of improvements. There wasn't anything to do to it. We didn't add to it. Well, we put an awning on the front. We did an awning and planted some flowers. When we went to sell it, we sold it for $2,250. That was the down payment on our first house. $2,250. That made a down payment on our house. We moved into that. We're in that for four years, and then we sold it. Then I went back and got my master's degree. But at that point, we moved into an old house. We rented for $85 a month. And, and, and actually what happened is I never paid that rent. Now I didn't, I didn't run out of town owing rent. What I did is I made an agreement with the wonderful landlady who owned the house to do improvements on the house. It had been her and her husband's house when they were first married. So it had been kind of dilapidated, been kind of, it was actually vacant when we moved in. So it had shoulder high grass and weeds that had over overgrown the sidewalk, the patios, the fireplaces were no longer functional. So I did those things to bring the house back to life, just calculated my hours and we never paid the $85 rent. I worked it off by doing things on the house. I was getting $200 a month as a graduate assistant. So I got free tuition during those two years to get my, um, master's degree, and $200 a month. Joanne sewed. She's a wonderful seamstress, so she was making clothes for hard-to-fit women. Between what she made in sewing for clothes, taking care of our little boy, and my $200 a month assistantship, we lived on that. So we finished there another two years. Um, we enjoyed, we loved the university environment. Two years later, we were broke, but debt-free. We didn't have any student loan debt or anything like that. And I had a master's in clinical psychology and even greater options. So these times of taking what appears to others to be a step backwards so you can get ready to move forward aggressively. I mean, I love those. I still welcome times like that in my own life. 
Well, at 41 years old, after some amazing successes, we experienced a devastating financial disaster. I owed the IRS and other legitimate vendors over $430,000. We elected not to file bankruptcy so I could keep my word, spent the next 12 years eking out a living and slowly getting ourselves back to zero net worth once again. But in that period of time, now let me, let me quickly add that. Don't feel sorry for us. In that period of time, our three young children experienced the thrill of working and playing together. Golly, our Tuesday night game night at our house became the envy of all the neighborhood kids. We rode bikes together, built an amazing tree house in our backyard, and our kids don't remember that being a time of financial struggle at all. Now, that was another time when I elected to, to step back. Boy, I mean, I mean, the IRS took everything. I mean, took our cars and all that. We had a Cadillac. I was driving a Mercedes. Those were gone. I, for, for a period of time, I borrowed a car from a friend. It was a ready, ready old um, Mercury Zephyr station wagon. I mean, the air conditioning didn't work. The windows didn't work. The radio didn't work. But my friend agreed to just let me borrow it. And I did. I used that. I started doing door-to-door commission sales only. Certainly not my dream job, but I needed to do something to get back in the game to start making money. And every minute I was in that car, I was listening. I had a little battery-operated cassette player, and I would listen to people like Jim Rohn, Dennis Waitley, Norman Vincent Peale, Zig Ziglar, Napoleon Hill. Those, those were the people that I listened to because I knew my mind was like a garden. I could either be in that real state of poverty and brokenness and just get lost there and lose my dream, or I could keep fueling my dream by feeding my mind the positive information that I knew would help me get out of that. Well, today, Joanne and I know our lives are full and worthwhile and beautiful, even if we're just sitting outside drinking tea together. We know we can enjoy those. See, we don't have the fear of poverty because we experienced that and came through that together. Incidentally, when I went into that real downturn, I I said that at 41 years old, after some amazing successes, we experienced that real deep valley. And rather than taking me a couple years, which I optimistically thought I could do, it took us 12 years to work our way out of that, resolve everything with the IRS and get back to zero, 12 plus 41. I was 53 years old. I mean, a lot of you are 37 years old and you're thinking, wow, is it too late to redirect? Is it, well, no, you can, you can go through a whole lot of things and still then accomplish things you want to live out your dream. And today I'm living the life of my dreams, but it didn't start when I was 18 years old at 53. I was absolutely broke. Absolute. I was so thrilled to be back to zero, back to zero. I mean, I was net worth. I didn't have any net worth, but in the years leading up to that, I had a negative net worth. I was thrilled to be back to zero. Well, facing fear removes the pain of what it might bring. And once you know what doesn't work, you have a broader path forward. You know, there's a little book, it's called Flinch, Julian Smith, great, just innovative, creative writer. But he talks about doing those things that we fear. And when we do, right before it happens, we flinch. I mean, if it's going off a bridge in a bungee cord or whatever it is, you know, we, we flinch. And he's saying, if you can get through that, then you recognize the experience probably isn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. And just... The other day over the weekend here, Joanne screamed and called me to the porch. She was out there sweeping and she uh, picked up a bag and underneath was a, a nice size black snake. 
Well, <laughs> she she flinched, believe me, and she recoiled, ran in and got me. I went out and recognized, you know, it's a black snake. So um, we, we don't kill those around here. We know they're just part of a, a balanced lifestyle living out in the country. So I went and got some gloves for my tractor and went in and reached down and grabbed the snake and took him back outside and released him. Now, did it make my adrenaline pump a little bit? Yeah, you better believe it. But I knew it wasn't going, there was nothing that was really going to harm me. I just had to get through that initial flinch. Another thing Julian talks about in that little book, Flinch, is getting into a shower with absolutely cold water. Now, I talked about that some, and I thought, you know, I, I talk about it and I've not done it, so I need to do it. Well, I have done it many times at this point. But I do it sometimes just to remind myself of that, that, that idea of flinch. If you walk into something unknown, yeah, it creates a flinch. But just like that, turn the water on absolutely cold. Well, you know, just before you get in there, you're going to flinch. But you get in there and it's like, oh my gosh. Well, you know what? That lasts about three seconds. Then you realize, wow, this isn't so bad. I mean, it's like walking under a waterfall you know, out on a nature trail somewhere, it's certainly not going to kill me. It's not going to harm me. It's just cold. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to push my luck on, on everything that some people do to just get a thrill. But those are things that um, I have experimented with, encourage you to do as well. Once you know that it's not going to, to harm you, then it'll open up your options for other things that you think you can attempt. Well, the real dream is the opportunity to appreciate the freedom and aliveness in trying. I mean, the reality of the outcome does not diminish that feeling. So yes, Paul, you have to create a change. The freedom of knowing you're living your own life is the dream worth pursuing. I mean, that's really the dream that you want to experience. The dream that you know you're living your own life. So it's not a matter of how many dollars in the bank or what kind of car you drive or how big your house is. I mean, those come later. But the real dream that we're all pursuing is knowing that we're living our own life. Goodness, goodness. Don't be in your last 12 weeks and then say, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. So should you follow your dreams and risk failing or protect yourself by not trying. The only people I know who are excited about the life they're living are the ones who risk following their dreams. Life is too short to settle for anything else. Hey, I'm going to end with this. It comes from H. Jackson Brown Jr. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. Well, I hope that's encouraging to you. No matter what it is you're doing, I hope you're still following your dreams, that you're coming up with new dreams, new things that you want to conquer, new thrills that you want to have. I know that you do. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast unless you're in that camp. So I commend you on that, encourage you on that. God, whatever I can do to help you, please let us know. We'll be happy to help you. Check out our resource, 48days.com slash books. And again, thank you for including me in the life you're in the dreams that you're living and being part of this community where we know we can, together, we can link arms, we can 
find, or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Golly, I'm I'm delighted we don't have to settle for anything less than that. I'm still looking for those things that increase my ability to create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. I know you can do the same.